And uh, once again, I'm also not Rob Jacobson. Uh, as you saw from earlier, uh, Rob's little video, Rob is again not with us today because he is ill. Um, so what I would like to do is take a few moments before I get started today and ask for God to bless this time and also uh, to pray for healing for Rob. So would you bow with me, please? Lord, we come to you today and uh, just in awe of everything that you do for us in our lives. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your guidance. And Lord, we just ask that you be with Rob and uh, his family this morning. Give Rob healing. Put your healing hand upon him, Lord. And we just ask for Michelle and the kids that, uh, that you give them strength and give them a sense of your presence. We just ask that you be with us this morning and we give all of our time to you as we worship you this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we are continuing our series called All In, Fierce Follow-Through in an All-Talk World. And as I was thinking this past week about, you know, kind of what that really means, I thought of a kind of a comparison. Now, I work with middle school kids, and the more comparisons that I can use, the better. Because sometimes those ideas and abstract thoughts that are, you know, kind of sound really good in my mind, I say to the kids, and they just kind of stare at me. And then I realize I've lost them for a few moments if they haven't already gotten lost. And so I was thinking about an analogy to use with this. And the one that I came up with is that of running a marathon. Now, how many of you in this room have run a marathon? I was hoping to get a few people. Okay, how many of you would like to say that you've run a marathon? <laughs> All right. I'm going to raise my hand, too. Now, I, I don't run marathons, and I, I probably never will. Uh, the closest I'm going to get to running a marathon is playing more than 36 holes of golf in one day without a cart. That would be a lot of walking for me uh, with a little bit of golf in between. But the ability to tell people that you are training for a marathon or to be able to tell people that you've run a marathon is kind of an impressive thing because that's a lot of running. And more so than the actual marathon itself, the training involved is hard. I have a, a friend right now who's training for a marathon and as I look at her training regimen, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't even want to drive that far, much less run that far. I get bored in the car. Good thing there's a radio on and got something on my I mean, I don't text while I drive, but of course that would be illegal. But certainly if a text comes in, you've got to read it. Is reading text illegal while you drive? Is it illegal to read text as well? I never do that. But, you know, the, the training for a marathon is very difficult. And... If you actually want to run a specific time in that marathon, you don't just want to finish, but you actually want to race it in a certain number of hours and minutes, you actually have an even more rigid regimen. You have to actually have specific things as you go along. And then, of course, once you get through all this training, you immediately get to that day of the marathon, and then the marathon's easy, right? The marathon's a piece of cake. I'm guessing not. I'm guessing you actually have to work pretty hard during the marathon as well. And I'm guessing, because of course I've never done this before, that in addition to the physical elements that you have to deal with, there's probably some emotional and mental elements that you have to kind of get through as well. And as we think about all-in fierce follow-through in an all-talk world, our Christian lives kind of resemble that, only on a much broader and bigger basis. 
because as Christians, we have to train. And as Christians, we have to constantly be thinking about what we are doing and how we are living. And you hope that you get through all that training and you get to the point where you can just live and that those habits, those good habits that you've built up, just like in the training for this marathon, will result in you being able to simply follow through and that it's not just all talk. We're using the book of Joshua to kind of help us look at this idea. And last week we talked about Joshua and how Joshua had an opportunity. He was immediately given a choice to make. He could either be brave or, if he, or he could be safe. He was given the reins. Moses kind of, well, Moses didn't hand off. Moses kind of died, so it was kind of obvious he was handing over the mantle of leadership. But once he died, Joshua had been chosen to lead the Israelites. And he had an opportunity right then and there to either be brave or safe. He had an opportunity to start those good habits and start that training in leading the Israelites. So now what we come to is our lives. And we look at our opportunities that we have in life to be either be brave or safe. And just like running at marathon, we have that opportunity to train. So right at that opportunity, right at those moments, hopefully we can reach out to people. And hopefully we can take those opportunities to be brave. We're looking at Joshua 2 this morning, and Joshua 2 is not really about Joshua. It's about the Israelites, but more than Joshua, it's about Rahab. And Rahab is a hooker, and we need to start there. Now, there are verses in the Bible that say she's a prostitute, so I'm not lying to you. She is actually a hooker. But there are other versions and other translations that would say that she was an innkeeper, she was a hooker. <laughs> Almost every English translation you read is going to say that she was a prostitute. And I say that because what I want to do is I want to show from where she's coming from. Now, even if she is an innkeeper, let's just say she's probably not like a school teacher, okay? She's not living on that side of the street. She's living on this side of the street. And she is going to be given an opportunity to be brave or safe. And as we read about her today, what I want you to remember is two things. Number one, she's obviously not coming from the, and I'm going to use the school teacher because I'm a school teacher, the school teacher side of the street. She's not coming from, you know, the, the safe and everything's good, I'm a school teacher, or uh, something that is, you know, you'd like to say in public, what do you do for a living? I'm a school teacher. She's coming from, what do you do for a living? I'm an innkeeper. That's probably what she would say because, of course, obviously has this profession. She maybe doesn't want to talk about it. But now she's going to be given this opportunity. And where she comes from is important. Because where she comes from is of no significance to God when he uses her. And he's going to use her for something that's very, very important. So let's open up, and we're going to start in Joshua 2. And we're going to start reading. We're going to read a few verses, then we'll talk a little bit. So starting in verse 1, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. And you've got to be really careful how you say that, by the way, <laughs> especially with sixth graders. <laughs> Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you 
and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now, these spies come over, and the first thing that I definitely want to point out is um, I love the idea of being a spy. That's one of those professions that, of course, you can't tell people, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm a spy. You obviously can't say that. But as I look at all of my favorite movies and television shows from the past, at the top of that list is being a spy. Whether it's the Bourne trilogy, by the way, fans, go ahead and raise your hand when you're fans of any of these movies. The Bourne trilogy, oh 007. How about TV shows right now? Burn Notice? Any Burn Notice fans? Oh, yeah. Being a spy is so cool. First of all, they know every language on the planet. They walk into every situation, and you could be speaking, I don't know, you could be you know, speaking a language from Star Trek, and it's like they would know it. But then they also know, I think, every single form of martial arts that's ever been invented. There's not a weapon that they don't know how to use. They can fly every vehicle, helicopter, car, boat, doesn't matter. They know everything, and they seem so cool. Now, there are spies in the Bible. There were spies that Joshua sent. Now, I'm guessing that these spies probably didn't look quite like James Bond, Michael Weston, or Jason Bourne. My guess is that they were probably somewhat average people that maybe knew something about the land that they were going into so they could fit in better. That would just be my guess. But the one thing that we definitely know about these spies is that they were chosen by Joshua to go into the land. Now, backing up a step, backing up a step why were they sent into the land? Well, obviously, the land that they were going into, and this is Jericho that they were going to go kind of seek out, the Lord had given that land to the Israelites. This was the promised land. This was the land that was promised to them. And like a good general, like a good military leader, Joshua said to himself, before I go and attack, I kind of need to know what I'm attacking. And so he sent these spies. Now the interesting thing about sending these spies is that they probably went in, I'm thinking, during the day. Because all of these cities back then the bigger cities, all had huge walls around them. And they did it to protect themselves from invading forces. And so in the middle of the day, they would put, they would put the, the doors, or they would open the doors to the city and let people go in and out so they could do different, you know, so people could come and visit, as well as so people could come and do different kinds of business. So obviously, these spies went in. And they probably checked things out, maybe walked around a little bit of the city. Jericho was a pretty big city, so it's not like they were going to walk around the whole thing. But then when they were done checking things out, when they needed a place to go stay, they went to Rahab's house. Now, if Rahab was a prostitute, then we can kind of make a, a likely you know, guess and a pretty good, um, it would probably be a, a pretty good hypothesis that her place was one of kind of those houses of ill repute. It was a brothel, okay? So they went to the brothel. Now think about this. These are obviously men, these men were chosen by Joshua to do this. So we know that Joshua trusts them, which my guess means is that they were good people, that they were of strong moral character. They go into this city, they go check things out, and then when they need a place to either A, stay, or B, just receive protection, where do they go? They went to the brothel. A couple of different reasons for this. Number one, it could be that they went there because who's going to say that they saw some Israelite spies. Somebody goes into that brothel. They're in the brothel. What are they doing in the brothel? They see these spies. They come out. They go to their boss and say, I just saw some Israelite spies. And their boss says, or their wife says, or somebody in their community says, well, where did you see them? So I'm in the brothel. 
Obviously, that's not necessarily a place that people want to be known as having been. The second idea is that we know that this home, and we're going to read about this in a few minutes, was right at the edge of the wall. So obviously a place where they could get out quickly if they needed to. But the third one is the one that I think is most intriguing. And the third idea, the reason why I think that they went to this brothel is that God led them there. That God knew Rahab's heart, and God knew Rahab would be one that would help them. And so God led them. And maybe the Israelites were thinking, maybe these two, um, these two spies were thinking, maybe that's a good place to go because it's a brothel, maybe be, because it's right near the wall. But I believe that God led them there because he knew Rahab. And it was destined that she would be able to help the spies. Not to give away the story, but she's going to help them. So they go into this brothel, and immediately the king finds out. So someone spilled the beans. Because the king finds out, people say, hey, look, there's some spies in the land. And it doesn't say the king sent out a decree or made an announcement or sent a text message to everybody in the city that, hey, there are some spies. Let me know if they're in your house. It says, so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab specifically. King knew or had heard that they were there. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. The king knew that they were there at some point. And this is the opportunity that Rahab is given. Brave or safe, like we talked about last week. Very safe for her to say, yes, they're here. She maybe doesn't even have to say it if she feels bad about it. She can maybe just point. This is her city. This is her home. These are her people. She has the opportunity to be safe and just say, yeah, they're upstairs. But she doesn't. Reading on, verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. By the way, doesn't that seem kind of interesting? I don't know which way they went, but if you hurry, you'll find them. Kind of interesting there. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. She has a moment. She has an opportunity. She hid them upstairs. And my guess is that she's probably hidden a few other people at that, you know, kind of at that point. It's like she kind of had a plan that this is where they could be hidden. Hey, actually, if you go upstairs onto the roof, there's some, you know, stalks of flax up there. Just go ahead and hide underneath there. Probably not the first men that had hidden up there is my guess. So she had kind of a plan for them. Reading on, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This section tells us a couple things new about Rahab. The first thing is that she's scared. We know she's scared. Obviously, we read it. We have heard of you and your conquests. We know that you're coming this way. Now, 
It would have been really cool if I'd actually had a map to put up there, but I did not um, because Rob told me I was speaking on like Wednesday. But if you, if you can kind of picture this, oh, I got a good way to do it. Picture where all of the Israelites are staying as Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin, this would be good. Hudson even, right before, you know, right as they're coming in. And then the Mississippi, you got to think of as uh, the Jordan, okay? And then moving west, you have the promised land, Minneapolis, St. Paul. (laughs) This is perfect. I didn't even thought of this earlier, but this is going to work out really well. So you have all of the Israelites, and they're camped out here, and they sent some in, in Wisconsin, which is, of course, you know, I mean, that's the Badlands. And then they are going to cross, and they're going to go into the gates. And everybody in Minneapolis, St. Paul, which at that time was inhabited by, let's say, people from, like, South Dakota. And anybody from South Dakota in here? Okay, a couple people. So I'm only offending two people. This is good. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, these are all, like, the, how about North Dakota? Is that safer? One North Dakota. Okay, we'll go with North Dakota. So anyways, these people from North Dakota, and he sent the spies in, and everybody that's in the Twin Cities that is kind of, they're kind of scared. They're kind of thinking, because they've seen the Israelites destroy all the people from not only Wisconsin, but also from like Illinois and Ohio and all the different states that are on that side. So they know it's coming, and they know that their land is good. You know, we... Several chapters ago, uh, and actually Joshua is one of them, Moses sent 12 spies. I know we haven't talked about this, but Joshua sent earlier in in, um, the biblical story, here in the story of the Israelites, including Joshua, 12 people were sent out to the land to kind of inspect it, to kind of see what it was like. And they came back, and the report that they gave the city was that this is the land of milk and honey. This is a perfect land. This is wonderful. We're going to be able to, you know, till the field. We're going to be able to do everything we want. And so they know this land is where they're supposed to be, and God has said, this is where you want to be, the Twin Cities. So they send these spies. Rahab knows this. Rahab, the whole city probably knows this. She's saying that we're melting in fear. So they see these people in Wisconsin, and they could probably look over the Mississippi, and they can see maybe 100 or so, knowing that there are thousands and tens of thousands more behind them, and they're scared. And Rahab has a moment. She's like, now I have these spies in my room. In my house, what do I do? And she hides them. She hides them up on the roof. She has that moment. Now, she is, and this is the title of the the talk today, she's an unlikely ally. She's a prostitute. She lives in that city. Her family, her friends, her community is there. Yet, they are putting their lives, and these spies, they're putting their lives in danger, and not just their lives, but also the lives of the Israelites and their time. Because if these spies don't make it back, what do you think is going to be the thoughts that are going to be running through the minds of the Israelites? We sent two people kind of in secret, and they never came back. My guess is that that would probably destroy a little bit of trust and confidence. So now we have Rahab. She has a moment. She has an opportunity, brave or safe, and she chooses to be brave. She's scared. She sees the writing on the wall. And not only that, but she starts to have a little inkling of faith. She starts to think, I know who your God is. Let me find that again. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Your God is what she's telling them. Now, this land was essentially pagan land. They worshipped gods. 
plural, many gods. It just maybe depended on the day or the season or the month. But she said, your God, being very specific. Not only was she scared and the whole city kind of melting in fear, but she's starting to kind of turn a little bit her heart and thinking maybe, maybe this is right. So her moment is a, is a moment of strength. Her moment is a time when she now gets to be an ally to God. Throughout the Bible, we see this, unlikely allies. We see people that God uses that did not start off with a faith in him. Paul was a Jew. Excuse me, Saul was a Jew. So he believed in God, but certainly he did not believe in Christ. He was, essentially, it was like it was his job to persecute Christians. Yet Saul was used by God. Saul became Paul. The woman at the well. She came to get a drink of water. Christ started talking to her. They weren't supposed to talk. Samaritans and Jews. This was not supposed to happen. But yet they spoke. And the end of that passage, once Christ spoke with her a little bit and told her, I'm not giving you a physical drink. I'm going to give you a spiritual drink that you will be able to have your thirst quenched for the rest of your life and after that. And what does it tell us? It says that then she went back to her town and told everybody about him. And God uses these people. But if we as Christians don't reach out and don't tell them about God or don't give them opportunities to be allies with us in some way, how are they supposed to hear? How are they supposed to know about the love that can be shared with them? This was circumstantial in a way. You know, I mean, the spies were in that town. They went to her brothel. I'm guessing there was probably more than one brothel in that town. But they went to her place. But she used that. She took that opportunity. So reading further in verse 12, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. There's some confidence in there. Absolutely we'll save you when the Lord gives us your land. So these, these two Israelites had faith that this was going to happen and that they were thankful and they said, absolutely, you save our lives and we will definitely save yours. Verses 15 and 16. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide, yourself, hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. And again, the whole rope out of the window thing, my guess is probably not the first time that that's happened. <laughs> the big picture here. Rahab, if she doesn't encounter the spies, where does her life go? If she is not given an opportunity to help them, what happens to her? What happens to her family? What happens to her brothers and sisters and their families? I went to Bethel College, and in Bethel College we had this term. We called it the Bethel Bubble because we all kind of stayed in the city. And actually I talk with people who've gone to Wheaton and North Park and different you know, Christian um, colleges in the area, and they all kind of talk about the same thing. I 
truly enjoyed my time at Bethel. I truly enjoyed the, the ability to be within my community and not have to worry necessarily. And nobody was, not everybody was perfect, obviously, and there were certainly some people in there that were trying to figure things out and so maybe weren't living that you know, perfect Christian life like anybody does. But yet it was nice to be in a community of believers, and, and it was kind of a comfort zone that you developed. And I think, you know, I'll be honest, I kind of do the same thing now. I teach at a, at a Christian school. And I have friends, and the majority of my friends are Christians. And I kind of develop these walls, in a way, around me that kind of protect me from the outside world at times. And the story of Rahab is a reminder that i got to stop thinking about just me. And I have to start thinking about the people that are on the outsides of my walls and the people in my community, and the people in my neighborhood, the people I meet at restaurants and in supermarkets, Target, the people that I talk to, that they are Rahab, that they are the woman at the well. The strength of a Christian community is not in its ability to close up shop and hold everything in. The strength is knowing that you have a foundation that's not going to be swayed when you go out and reach people. And restoration, we are about service. We are about showing God's love and about restoring people and bringing them in to a knowledge of Christ, which is the only way that some of these people are going to be healed, possibly physically, but we certainly know spiritually. Those are our moments to be brave or safe. Rahab had her moment to brave or safe, and she chose brave. I'm saying on the part of the spies, they also had their moment. They chose her house for whatever reason, but maybe, I'm thinking maybe it was a divine intervention that they said, we're going to that house. We have to think this way. I love the time that I spend with my Christian friends, and trust me when I say this, I will not give that up for the world. But we need to constantly be reaching out. Because Christ did the same thing, and we need to follow his example. Is an easy way to say it. We think about his life. How much time did he spend with the disciples? And then how much time did he spend with the lowest of the low, the woman at the well, the people with leprosy, the sinners, the tax collectors, all these people? He had his time with his friends. He had his time with the people that were following him, that built him up spiritually. And then he spent also some time with people that needed him. And we need to do that same thing. To close out, verses 22 through 24. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. When the two men started back, they went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord had surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. What kind of confidence do you think is being built up in Joshua, knowing that they're fearful? knowing that this town is ready to be taken. And that doesn't happen unless those spies make it out of their alive. And that doesn't happen unless Rahab's heart starts to turn. She chooses to be brave. And collectively, the more we can be brave, the stronger we are going to be. And the more people we can reach, and the more people like Rahab whose lives are going to be saved, both physically and eternally. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the gifts that you've given us. 
Thank you for the abilities that we have to reach out into our communities. Lord, at the same time, thank you for the friends we have in the faith, the people that hold us accountable, the people that build us up and help us to develop the trust and confidence that can only be there when we are with brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us seek out opportunities, Lord. Give us those opportunities to reach out and help us to be brave. Let us think about people like Rahab who need us, who need us to talk with them, who need us to reach out. Let us seek those opportunities this week, Lord. Pray this in your your name. Amen. It is a beautiful day out. If I had any kind of a a singing voice, I would start singing Beautiful Day by you two. But I will save you from that torture and just say, have a great week. Seek out those opportunities. And I'm not going to tell you Rob's going to be back next week because I don't like to lie two weeks in a row. But hopefully he will be healthy and he will be able to come back and speak with you next week. Have a great week. See you then. Bye.